We want to finish our study of the Bible character of Joseph. We have 13 chapters between Genesis chapter 37 and the end of the book about Joseph. You know, you find Isaac and he's covered in a chapter or two and he's gone. But Joseph, we have all these chapters because the Lord's telling us there's more about him than I want you to learn than there was about Isaac. And so we follow the emphasis of Scripture to learn about this man. We find him in Hebrews chapter 11 because he was one of the elders of Israel that obtained a good report by faith. And we want to obtain a good report by faith as well. We want to mark this man knowing at the end of the adapt our lives to his. We want his character, the character traits that, that exemplify Joseph. And we see them over and over again in this last third or fourth of the book of Genesis. Without any further introduction, because I've made the introduction before, we are going to go straight into these character traits that we can find. Now, this is not all about the story of Joseph, so I'm going to skip sections. And some of the sections I skip, you might really love. But in those sections, I doubt if there's as much about the character of Joseph as there is about some other precious aspects of his story. We all love it. When the brothers came home from the second trip and told Jacob that Joseph was indeed alive. That is a very tender section of scripture and it's a wonderful drama there. The old man's heart fainted. It had been 22 years. Joseph was 39. He left when he was 17. It had been 22 years. And the old man listened as the sons repeated the story and said everything that Joseph had said. And then they told Jacob to get up out of his chair, or they rolled his wheelchair over to the window. And he looked out and he saw all the wagons that Pharaoh and Joseph had sent for the whole family. And the asses laden with the good things of Egypt. And his heart revived. And he said, my son Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die. And he had a 17-year family reunion down in Egypt. Jacob lived 17 years. The Bible tells us, the Bible wants us to know these things. 17 years down in Egypt with a family all together. Praise the Lord for that. But we want to look at Joseph's character. So let's look at Genesis chapter 41 and verse 47. Joseph has stood before Pharaoh, interpreted his dream, told Pharaoh that his nation is at risk because there are about to be seven years of great prosperity followed by seven years of great famine. And unless precautionary measures are taken, the nation is at risk. And Joseph says a man needs to be appointed who will gather excess produce in the prosperous years that it can be used during the years of famine. And Pharaoh says to those around him, can we find anyone better than this? And they chose Joseph. And Pharaoh was moved by God so greatly that he put a chain upon Joseph's neck And said, unless I am in my throne, you are the ruler of Egypt. And so a Hebrew shepherd, both despised by the Egyptians, became the ruler of Egypt by the providence of God. The man who had been hated by his brothers, the man who had been sold into slavery, the man who had been assaulted 
by Potiphar's wife, the man who had gone to prison. That man was now ruler of Egypt. And so we take up with his activities. Genesis chapter 41, verse 47. And the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much, until he left numbering, for it was without number. This is Joseph at the age of 37. He stood before Pharaoh at 30 and for seven years. Let's look at the end of the seven years. For seven years he gathered all the plenty of God's blessing upon the land of Egypt. He started with an accounting system and a bookkeeping system to keep track of all that he had stored up. But there was so much he eventually gave up on it. We've got too much to account for. Let's just forget it. Let's just keep storing. Keep the bulldozers out there. Keep the silos loading up. And because they had so much, it was without number. It was coming forth by handfuls. All they had to do was gather it. You know, questions have been asked, could you tax a prosperous nation 20% for seven years and live off it in the following seven years? Yes, 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 and yes. There's many reasons why that would work. If a nation is truly as prosperous as the Lord is able to make a nation prosperous, 20% of that prosperity is a lot. And that doesn't say how much they were storing up on their own. And when times are hard, with a little bit of rationing, you can get by on a whole lot less than you think. You know, Americans think they need their present schedule of five or six meals a day, if you include all the snacks, because if you measure the calorie content of most snacks, you should call it a meal. But you know, if times were hard, or if we had a necessity, rationing would help us understand that we could get by on a whole lot less and still be very happy. It works, it works very well. The only one that would ever ask a question like that with a poor attitude is a skeptic or a scorner. 20% is plenty enough to live on when it's 20% of great prosperity. But we want to look at Joseph. What can we learn about this? He was very prudent and foresightful and very disciplined. If you had seven years of great, great prosperity, you would be tempted, as all men would be, to get lax, and to waste, and to use it, and to sell it, and to sell your surplus. It would be very difficult, after you just seeing the earth bringing forth by handfuls, to stay disciplined. I need to keep saving. Because though I am now in the sixth year, and it certainly doesn't look like I need savings, I need it because God told me to save. And I don't want to get very far off on this practical point. But saving is not a better idea. Saving is not a suggestion. Saving is a commandment of God. It's repeated throughout the book of Proverbs. Savings is not an option. You had better be taking part of your income and setting it aside and not using it for current expenses because that's an ordinance of the Bible. That's why Solomon said, go to the ant. In the summer, he's storing up for the winter. Joseph understood that God's word was true and that there were going to be seven years of famine, even though it didn't look like it. 
And so he kept his savings program going, even though it didn't look like he needed savings, because the earth was bringing forth so much year after year. He was very foresightful. He was looking ahead and thinking about what could come, what would come, rather than present circumstances. It is a fact in America that when current wages are high, expenses rise as rapidly or more rapidly than income. In a good economics class, it's called the propensity to consume, which means that as income rises, so does your desire to spend it, because Americans are spendthrifts. But not Joseph. He was a saver and he kept doing it. You know what the Bible says about him? The Bible says this in five words in Proverbs eleven sixteen: Strong men retain riches. Strong men retain riches. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and thy herds, because riches are not forever. You better be looking at your source of income every year and thinking about the fact that it could go away, because it will go away. Not that it might go away, it will go away. And there's the words of Solomon that Joseph fulfilled before he'd read the book of Proverbs. Who taught Solomon the book of Proverbs before it was written? God the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was a prudent man, and even Pharaoh recognized he had the Spirit of God in him. Joseph knew by the Spirit of God that he should be a strong man and retain those riches because hard times were coming. Every one of you should be as prudent as Joseph by looking ahead and realizing that riches are not forever. You may have a great job now. Your business may be prospering now. Things can change. I don't care what you do. I don't care how necessary you think your business might be. Men make changes when there is no money. We just haven't seen that in a while, but we could see it, and we could see it soon. Enough on that. We want to, I want you to see his character. He was prudent. Though it kept flooding in, he did not let that relax his commitment, which we would all do. He did not have a propensity to consume. For those of you that have taken economics, Joseph defies them. He did not have a propensity to consume. Consumption in Egypt did not go up with prosperity because he was saving it for the time to come. I hope you love a strong leader like this. Look at verse 54. Chapter 41, verse 54. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses, and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Here's the leadership of a man who was foresightful enough to know that trouble was coming because God told him, and to make provision for it, and to stay in charge. He did not go hide himself in his bed. He didn't sit in his lazy boy and say, Woe is me. We're in trouble. He was a leader. And every one of you men should be leaders in your home. You should be looking ahead, making provision, taking precautions, and when trouble comes, and it will come. Not if it comes, it will come. 
You need to be the leaders like Joseph was. We don't see Joseph sending these people to Asenath. You know, a lot of men start falling back on their wives because they're not strong leaders. A strong leader doesn't fall back on his wife. He says, I'm going to take care of my wife and my children. And that's what Joseph did. Look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew he wasn't ready for the job. When the people came to Pharaoh and said, we're all starving, there was mobs in the streets. He said, go to Joseph, and whatever he says, do. He trusted Joseph, and this is seven years later. Joseph is now entering his 38th year, because we're starting the seven years of famine. But notice his leadership. May God bless the men of this church to be the leaders that they should be. To take the precautions. To make the provisions. And when trouble comes, stand up and be counted and work your way out of it. With the grace of God and with the help of your brothers and with strong leadership and resolve, the Lord will bless you out of your trouble. That's what he told you to do and he will help you. Let's come to chapter 42. We have some guests coming from all lands. And they are Joseph's brethren. And I am not preaching about Joseph for us to get all emotional about Joseph's brethren coming to meet him. I want us to be looking at Joseph and what kind of character he had when, after 21 years, for the first time, he saw his brethren. He's 38 years old. They sold him into slavery when he was 17. And now they're standing before him. He has the headgear and the shaving of an Egyptian. He has the facial paint or whatever else he had on in such a way they couldn't recognize him. He spoke in Egyptian through an interpreter. They didn't know who he was, but he instantly knew them. And there are his ten older brothers who had sold him into slavery 21 years earlier. How does he deal with them? While we read, do you know how easily we get upset with someone who offends us? It is a disgrace to our religion. Someone slights us in some little way. Someone says something a little critical, and we can get so upset and bent out of shape and hold it against them and have a grudge against a brother in Christ. I hope you enjoyed, I hope you were convicted by Matthew 18 this morning, where the Lord of some servants, forgave, freely forgave, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, an enormous sum of money. But that same man went out and took a fellow servant, a brother of his, by the throat, demanding immediate payment of a 100 pennies. Oh, that describes us. That describes us. May God convict every one of us to be like Joseph. You will never be wronged as greatly as Joseph was wronged. And yet, he freely forgave. Let's read about it. Chapter 42, verse 6. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Sounds like the fulfillment of a prophecy that I saw your sheaves, and they bowed down to mine. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. 
And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. Joseph humbled his brothers gently. He could have been a whole lot worse. If you read this and think, well, he spake roughly to them. Oh, spake roughly. He accused them of being spies for a short period of time to get them to tell him a little bit more about their family. Because there were two people that he was greatly interested in. How was his father doing? And how was his brother doing? He had a brother back at home that he wanted to know about. Notice how he stirred up their consciences. Notice how the Bible tells us, Joseph remembered the dreams in verse 9. While Joseph is listening to them appeal for food, he's remembering the dreams that he had, that God had told them they would be bowing down to you, and he helped that along a little bit by speaking to them roughly and accusing them of being spies. What we want to see is his godly craftiness and his brotherly love. He did not hurt them. For what they did to him, they deserved enormous punishment. He did not hurt them. He made them think for a few minutes about what they did 21 years earlier. And they quickly thought about it. I want to say one thing, and this is, this is a side point from the character of Joseph. When you sin and you think and the devil tells you that that sin is only for a few minutes, and if you don't get caught right then, then you're home free. These men, 21 years later, still have that riding on their conscience. And they are still thinking that when something bad happens to them in life, it's God's judgment on them for the way they treated their brother 21 years earlier. Sin does not go away like that. The devil tells you it goes away quickly. You know, out of sight, out of mind... Joseph had been out of sight for 21 years, but he wasn't out of mind. They knew what they had done. They knew it was terrible. And every time they saw the sad face of their father, Jacob, they knew they had caused it by what they had done to Joseph. At 38 years of age, Joseph humbles his brothers gently. Joseph stirs their consciences gently. But he took care of them and their families with free food. How's that for a gracious brother? He looks at these men. He could have put them in prison. He could have killed them. You know, when we, Hollywood loves stories of revenge, murder, and mayhem. If you're wrong, then you ought to go get yourselves a couple six guns and go kill everyone. Why not? Kill everyone. Wipe out the family. Be like Simeon and Levi, who wiped out an entire city because they fornicated with their sister Dinah. There's a whole chapter about that. Genesis 34, whole chapter about it. Joseph wasn't anything like that. He'd been wrong terribly. He pushed them a little bit. He jerked their chain a little bit to get them to think about what they had done. But it was gently done. It was kindly done. He gave them their free food and sent them home. You know, the real test of love is not saying that you love someone. The real test of love is not sending a card or writing a check. 
You know, to write a check for someone is about the easiest thing that you can do. To pull out a little piece of paper called a check from a checkbook and write your name on it. There can be so much pride attached with that. And it's such a small gesture of love. Do you know what the New Testament teaches us repeatedly is the real measure of love? How well can you forgive someone who wrongs you? That is the real test of love. That is the strongest measure of love. That is the greatest grace of love. That is why the Apostle Paul would take up in 1 Corinthians 13 and say, Though I would give all my goods to feed the poor, I haven't loved yet. What he described in verses 4 through 7 in one sentence, 15 aspects of love, is real love. And you know how it starts out? Charity suffereth long. It's being able to put up with someone irritating you, offending you, trespassing against you, or wronging you without getting bent out of shape. That's love. You put up with someone else's faults and failures, even though it may cost you. And here's Joseph giving us a great example. He's got his 11 brothers. He's got guards standing all around. He could have their heads off. He could have them in prison. He could publicly shame them and have them drugged through the streets of Egypt. But he didn't. He didn't at all. He knew he'd been forgiven by God, so he had a forgiving spirit. and He forgave his brothers, even though they had sinned greatly against him. We don't have such severe offenses to forgive. The little things that we do against each other in our families, in our church, with our neighbors, on the job, are so small in comparison. Surely we can be like Joseph and forgive those who wrong us. Joseph here shows himself a prince. He shows favor. He's merciful. He gives to them. He shows himself a prince, and we want to be a prince like him. And he's consistent this way till the end of the book. You all know that. Joseph consistently forgave them and overlooked what they had done to him. Verse 15. Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you, or else for the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. That's the death penalty. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. What had transpired here is that when Joseph accused them of being spies, they said, no, we are true men. We are all the sons of one father. There's one brother at home, and one is not. The one that is not was standing right there in front of them, Joseph. That is in verse 13. And so Joseph now plays with them a little bit. He was as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. He didn't ever hurt them, but he sure was wise. He had now heard about there being one at home that was doing well. The father was doing well. And so he says, I want to prove whether you're spies or not. I want to see that younger brother. You know he yearned to see Benjamin. Benjamin was far more important to him than the other ten because Benjamin was from the same mother, Rachel. 
he wanted to see Benjamin. And so he tells them, I will consider you spies unless you can go home and bring a brother that looks somewhat like you so that you can prove that you're not spies. You didn't just make up a story to justify your request here for food. He used guile, godly craftiness and brotherly love because he loved his brother and he wanted to see him. He didn't hurt anybody. If you think he's being rough, oh, what did those brothers deserve? He was so kind to send them home with their money after three days to pull them out of prison because he didn't want anybody going hungry back at home. And so he sent them back. Now look at verse 24. Before we get to verse 24, let me begin reading at verse 21. This is hard to choose which verses. I want to read the whole thing and take months on this, but that's not what we're going to do. Verse 21, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother, meaning Joseph. 21 years later, they're still feeling the weight of that guilt. In that we saw the anguish of his soul, he was begging for his life. When he besought us and we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, spake I not unto you, saying, do not sin against the child. And ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them and wept, and returned to them again, and communed with them, and took from them Simeon, and bound him before their eyes. Joseph hears them arguing. They don't know that he can understand because he's speaking to them through an interpreter. When he accuses them of being spies and he expects to see Benjamin, they turn among themselves and bring up the fact of Joseph and what they had done to him 21 years earlier. Their guilt was pressing them greatly. And Reuben speaks up, and if you go back to Genesis chapter 37, you will find that Reuben did try to save the life of Joseph. And Reuben says, I tried to save his life, and you wouldn't hear me or listen to my advice as your oldest brother. And now his blood's required of us. And Joseph's listening to all this, and it's moving him greatly. And this is one of the things we want to learn today. Great men cry. Great men cry. Now, some crying is a, is a reflection of your temperament. But if you hold back tears because you think that's a sign of weakness, you are a weak man. Great men cry. Joseph cries so many times between now and Genesis 50, I can't record them all. David cried. David wept on the battlefield all day for Saul, his enemy. Jesus wept. Timothy wept. And Paul loved those tears. Joseph was a sympathetic, compassionate, affectionate, emotional loving, tender-hearted man. And these are good character traits because Joseph obtained a good report. He hears them arguing about the guilt of what they did to him. He hears them remembering 21 years later that he had begged for his life and that they had ignored him. He hears all that and he weeps. Though they were reminding him very directly that they had not had compassion upon him. He gives them their money and sends them with free food. 
But before he does that, let's notice something. He keeps one man in prison. Who is the oldest son of Jacob? Reuben. Who is the second oldest son of Jacob? Simeon. Now, when he chooses a brother, does, does Joseph know their age order, their birth order? Yes. yes, indeed. When he chooses a brother to put in prison, he doesn't choose Reuben. He already knows that Reuben tried to save his life, and he just heard Reuben remind the brothers that he tried to save his life. So he doesn't pick Reuben. I want to tell you about the kindness and loyalty of Joseph for what Reuben had done to him. What fairness, what loyalty, and what kindness. Do you know who he picked? He picked the cruelest of his brothers, Simeon. How do we know that he's cruel? Because on Jacob's deathbed, when Jacob faces Simeon, he tells him how cruel he was. What had Simeon done in Genesis chapter 34 to prove that he was cruel? He, he went and killed all the inhabitants of Shechem for fornicating with Dinah. That's not fair. To go wipe out a whole city because your sister was so foolish was to go out with the daughters of the land and one man fornicated with her, not the whole city. And his father Jacob had made a covenant with that whole city. Simeon was very cruel. Simeon went to prison. Joseph is so fair. Put the man that deserves it in prison. Let Reuben go home. Even though they didn't know that he had just heard them talking about Reuben. He heard them and he knew. Reuben wasn't put in prison. Joseph showed his kindness, his loyalty, and his fairness by picking son number two instead of son number one. Are you that way? Are you utterly fair in all your dealings? Totally consistent? The foolish and the wicked are punished in your sight? The righteous and the wise are exalted and honored? Or do you have favorites out of personal affection? This isn't out of personal affection. This is out of loyalty. And we want to be like Joseph. Let's come over to chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43. I'm skipping a great deal, and I'm skipping a great deal of good things. The ten, ten brothers are coming back. Nine that came the first time, but now they have Benjamin with them. Simeon's in prison. Verse 26. And when Joseph came home, 43:26, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom ye spake? Is he yet alive? This had been some time. This had been long enough to eat up all their food that they took after the first trip. And it had been so long that they told their father, If we do not go back soon, our stories will not jive because we will have been away longer than the food should have supplied us. This has been a while. Simeon's been locked up for a while. Is your father well? Another thing we want to learn. You better love your father. You don't love your father. You don't honor your father. You don't have strong affection for your father. You're going down. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Not all of your fathers are equal of the same affection. 
but all fathers deserve some honor by their office. Joseph loved his father, and we're going to see his bowels yearning and his questions indicating how much he wants to see Jacob again and make sure that he's doing well. Remember, he pushed them about being spies so that they told him they had a father and a brother. Remember Jacob Jacob rebuking them when they got home after the first trip? Why in the world did you tell them you had a brother? Now I'm committed to send them a brother. You know why they told him? Because Joseph was wise. Joseph was crafty. He was as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. He had extracted that from them by pressing them that they were spies. And now he asks, Is your father well? Their father was his father. Is your father well? The old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? Has he lived through this further six months or year? that you've been gone with the food I gave you the last time? And they answered, Thy servant our father is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. (laughs) Amen. The Lord's fulfilling his word that he had given to Joseph 22 years earlier. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, Rachel's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom ye spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. Here he is, the powerful potentate of Egypt. And here's Benjamin, his brother, younger than him by a few years, standing there. And he says, God be gracious unto thee, my son. He gives him a blessing right off the bat, separates him from all the other brothers. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. And he saw where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. And then he had to wash his face before he came back out. And you know the rest there. They had a meal together. He had had his servants set up the table from Reuben to Benjamin. He had the messes hauled out of that kitchen and put down before Reuben, put down before Simeon, put down before Levi. But when it got to Benjamin, he got five times as much. Joseph is showing His heart, full of affection, full of compassion and love for his brother. The others were half-brothers. He loved them. He was kind to them. He gave them their money back. He had them into his house for a meal. But he especially loved Benjamin, who was his full brother through their mother, Rachel. What can we see in this when we look and when we read these verses? His family affection and his generosity. Look at the love flowing under the heart of Joseph. And we want to be like that. We want to err, if we ever have to err, we want to err on the side of love and mercy. We want to err on the side of generosity and liberality. We don't ever want to err on the side of stinginess. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. There is that scattereth and it tends to riches. We want to be like Joseph, a heart full of love, his bowels yearning. You know, the New Testament tells us that we should have bowels of compassion. We speak, in our, in our time, we speak of our stomach turning upside down. Or I could feel it in the pit of my stomach. Well, in the Bible times, it said, do you have bowels of compassion? Joseph, seeing his younger brother from Rachel, was yearning for him, wanting to hug him and kiss him and embrace him. And he's weeping about it, and he has to quickly run out of this chamber and hide himself, wash his face before he can come back so that he looks like he hasn't been crying. We want to have that kind of character. 
You know, when we see the Lord Jesus Christ walking into the little city of Nain, the little village of Nain, N-A-I-N. It's a precious story in the Gospel of Luke. He enters into that little village of Nain, and there's a funeral procession. And a widow woman is burying her only son. And it says Jesus had compassion upon her. Are we full of compassion for other people in their pain, in their suffering, in their loneliness? Do we have hearts that yearn for them? Do we have bowels of compassion? Jesus walked over to that woman and touched her and said, Don't you worry. Don't you fear. Don't weep, woman. I'll take care of this little problem. And he walked over to the funeral fire and said, Arise and get off that thing. And presented the son back to his mother. We want to be like that. You know, we had read, I read to you Ephesians chapter 4 about being tenderhearted. Joseph is one of the great examples in the Bible of being tenderhearted. There is no such place as a man with a hard heart. That's just a brute beast. That's just a fool. Real men have tender hearts because they have compassion like God has compassion and like the Lord Jesus Christ had compassion. And Joseph was that way. And we want to be like Joseph. He was crying so much he had to go into a room and wash his face. Joseph forgave them freely. He showed his great family affection and his generosity of feeding them and sending them home with their money a second time. Let's come over to chapter 45. Chapter 44 is all about them looking for the silver cup. That's quite a story in itself. It's part of Joseph's craftiness at wanting a little bit more time with his brother and of treating his brother a little differently. But let's come to chapter 45. Joseph forgave his brothers freely and fully by putting his faith and trust totally in a sovereign God. Chapter 45. This is about the faith of Joseph. His faith was so strong that he could recognize the secret will of God and let it govern how he would treat those who had mistreated him. Verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him. For they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt." Now hurry home and get my father and bring him back here. I'll nourish him in the land of Goshen, and I'll save the family. 
Notice Joseph's faith and what it did. Joseph believed in the sovereignty of God. And once an event is over, you then know the secret will of God. When an event is over, you know that that was the secret will of God, even if the revealed will of God was broken. Those ten brothers, in selling Joseph into slavery, broke the revealed will of God. They mistreated their brother. They sinned in numerous respects. They hated their brother. They would not speak kindly to him. They lied to their father. Their list of crimes is long and terrible. They broke the revealed will of God because God had revealed, orally by this point, how they should treat their brother and how they should treat their father. But the secret will of God was to get Joseph down into Egypt to save the family alive. Because God had already told Abraham, I'm going to take your family down into Egypt, and I'm going to sustain them there, and they're going to come out after a number of years, and then I will establish them in Canaan. And look at, look at Joseph's faith. Let me give you another example in case you're missing this aspect of faith. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. A son was born. Nathan the prophet said, the son is going to die. While the son was alive, David fasted and prayed seven days, seven nights, on his face, on the ground, begging God for the life of that child. He heard rumblings among the servants and said, what's going on? They said, he's dead. The child's dead. David rose up, washed, and went into the house of the Lord to worship. He stopped his fasting and prayer because he now knew the secret will of God was that that child was not going to recover. Do you understand this? Is, is your faith that strong? Is your faith that strong that when you see an event happen, you know that was the secret will of God, and you're willing to totally submit to it? See, Hezekiah had Isaiah the prophet come in and say to him, Thou shalt surely die. But he was still alive. And while he had breath, he was going to beg God, if perchance God would give him a few more years. The men of Nineveh, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But the men of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes and begged God for mercy. And in 40 days they were not overthrown. While you have a chance, you should be begging God for anything that you need. Whether it's the life of Hezekiah, whether it's the life of the city of Nineveh, or the life of David's child, or Joseph's life. They didn't hear him. God did not give Joseph his prayer requests that he made while he was down in that pit. And that was to be delivered from his brothers. And after he got down to Egypt and knew that there was prosperity coming and then a famine, Joseph knew what God's plan was for his life. And that was to save his family from what was coming. And so he totally submitted to that. He submitted to it so much that he told his brethren, forget it. Yes, you were wrong. They knew they were wrong. God sent me down here. It wasn't really you. Yes, they were terrible and they knew it. And they still haven't forgotten it and they won't forget it for another 17 years. But Joseph understood that God had used their sin to accomplish great good for the family. And though it was at his expense, he submitted himself fully to it. Joseph forgave his brothers freely and fully, putting his total trust in the sovereignty of God. He showed great mercy toward others and great trust in the secret will of God. 
The secret will of God is what comes to pass in time. We do not know the secret will of God before it comes to pass unless God tells us by the way of prophecy or by his scriptures. The Bible tells us plainly God has two wills. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. They're his business, not ours. The revealed things belong unto us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. That's what we are to be committed to, what God has told us. This is his revealed will. His revealed will was that innocent men should not die at trial. His secret will was that the Jews and the Romans would get together and crucify the Lord of glory as our Savior. And so though they were wicked, and though they were guilty for killing the Lord Jesus Christ, they accomplished the secret will of God, and that was our redemption. And we see that throughout the Bible. Many, many examples, but this is one of the great examples. We have it in chapter 45, and we'll have it again in chapter 50. Joseph forgave his brothers fully and freely right here. He reveals himself to them. I'm Joseph. I'm your brother that you sold into Egypt. Come here. Come closer. Look at me. They couldn't say a word. Isn't it wonderful? They couldn't say a word. They were, they were so shocked, so amazed, so confounded to be in the presence of a man who held their lives in his fingertips. All he, could, he would just have to signal, and they would have their heads cut off. He says, come here. I'm your brother. I'm your brother that you sold. God has used this event. God sent me down here to save you. Now hurry up. Get home and get dad and bring him down here. Let's have a family reunion and I'll nourish you in the best suburbs of Egypt. I'll put you in the land of Goshen. And then he calls Benjamin over. Benjamin, is it me? Verse, 13, verse 12. And behold, your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. You know, there would have been memories coming flooding back into Benjamin's mind about Joseph and his brothers, watching the way he formed the words, the way he spoke, and now looking at his face. They would have seen past the Egyptian paint, hairdo, or whatever else was different about him. And they would have truly seen that, yes, this indeed is Joseph. And Joseph and Benjamin do a little bit of hugging here. Because Joseph loved his brother very much, it says in verse 14, he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. It took a while for them to get warmed up enough to be able to say a word to Joseph, the one they had sold into slavery. But what we want to see about this man here is his trust in the sovereignty of God. So so much does he trust in the sovereignty of God, he can forgive brothers who were so cruel they would not listen to him begging for his life. They sold him into slavery, cost him all those years in prison, cost him those years working for Potiphar. He didn't take a cent away. He went to prison. He didn't get any wages from that labor. Remember, that's why he named his children Ephraim and Manasseh, because the Lord hath caused me to forget all my labor. The Lord's blessed me with children, and now he's given me a great job. I'm ruler of Egypt. Brethren, do you trust the sovereign will of God as much as Joseph did? Health differences. Business differences. Marriage differences when you've been wronged in the past. Parental differences. Some of you were not given 
a good set of parents like others in here were given. Do you know what that means about your life? Does it justify you being different from anyone else? Not a bit. God made that difference. God made that difference by His sovereign decrees for your life. And you should submit totally to that and forgive any of those that hurt you because God chose that for your life. God is going to make you better and in a different way than others by that set of experiences. God chose that. God chose it for Joseph. Joseph understood it, and he gives us a great example of how to respond to those differences in our lives. May the Lord bless us to humble ourselves before the God of heaven, who does make differences among men, who does allow pain in our lives, but it is for his honor and glory, and it is his secret will, and once it's seen and understood and known to be God's will, we should submit totally to it, forgive the perpetrators of any pain in our lives, and go forward just like Joseph did. He hugged all his brothers, wept on their necks, kissed them, and said, hurry up. Let's have a family reunion in Goshen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.